finally when I started working on the surfer project, like I was like all of a sudden photographing from like a deeply personal space and I was able to learn and develop an even more nuanced vocabulary for my emotions and experiences and how to translate that into film and photography, which is like, everyone should do that. Everyone should do a personal project so you can learn how to do that. Cause like, it was crazy. What's going on y'all. You have just tuned in to the black shutter podcast on this show. I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. The camera is simply a tool to communicate what the photographer cares about. When the photographer is aligned with their interests, they make work that is authentic and impactful. Our guest in this episode grew up in a beach town and developed the passion for environmental science. She also discovered surfing. And while she has created a diverse body of work, she still finds herself returning to the beach to find new stories. She was an intern at the New York Times and the Tampa Bay Times and is a former staff photographer at the Los Angeles Times. Gabriella Ngadi Jones, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, sis? I'm great. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Feeling great. Some summer vibes are are like on and popping right now, so I feel good. I know. It finally got warm in California after it we had like four or five storms. It was stupid. I heard uh, California was getting hit with a lot of rain, like un- yeah. un- unseasonable rain. You know? Yeah, it was it was it was pretty intense, but it brought waves, so it was kind of fun. It was kind of scary, but it was kind of fun. <laughs> dope, dope. You know, on 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 the East Coast, we've been getting hit with the um, the haze from like the all the fires burning in Canada. So yeah. um, you know, we keep getting these weather alerts about you know um the air is unsafe and it's just crazy that we gotta break the mask out again you know i know welcome to our world <laughs> i feel For like real. we swapped <laughs> <laughs> y'all got the wow that's twisted yo y'all got the thunder y'all got the storms and we got yeah. the, the the uh forest fires wow yeah no it's it's messed up i don't recommend it it's there's nothing like what's more apocalyptic than not being able to breathe air outside i mean we experienced that during the pandemic but i think the fire smoke brings a whole other element to it yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah. well i know you just mentioned um getting the waves right so um you're from cali uh but tell us yeah. where you from in cali so i'm from a smaller beach town called capistrano beach it's in between san Clemente and dana point and um it's like a very beachy surfy area a lot of california surf history comes from here a lot of it was imported from uh hawaii literally to dana point um through a guy through duke kanamahu who's like this he's like he's like the surf ambassador of the world he like Mm. went around like the 40s and 50s i don't know if you heard of him like have you seen like the restaurants dukes no what is that Okay, so, like, I don't know if you've been to Hawaii or, like, any, like, I don't know, just 
tropical place. There's always like a restaurant called Dukes and that's who it's named after. But yeah, so he like introduced um, surfing to this area through this guy named Whitey Harrison. He was just a white guy who the Polynesians and Hawaiians called Whitey and he brought (laughs) it here and then they started surfing and that's like extremely long story short, but it has origins in Hawaii and they also think because of like Africa. I'm just jumping right into it, but they also think like Africa and Asia around the same time. But yeah, so I grew up in San Clemente, um, family of two other sisters, my mom and my dad. I'm Italian and black. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> nice. So uh, where, where do you fall within the um, siblings? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Uh, yeah. Okay. Nice, nice. And, um, you know, speaking of family, you know, it sounds like, you know, growing up, in a beach town you have this you know huge surfer historical knowledge um you know i feel like uh you know you correct me if i'm wrong but like surfers have like a pretty easy going way about life yeah for the most part i think that was how it originally started out and um it was honestly in american surfing it started off as like dodge like draft dodgers um, oh, wow. during World War II, yeah, it was a bunch of actors and actresses that dodged the draft and they wanted to live like the lazy beach leisurely lifestyle. But I think as surfing became more commercialized, it now has a more competitive edge mm-hmm. um, where that's where you, you know, like shortboarding, which is pretty aggressive style of surfing. And um, also with just like more people starting to surf and like there's not that many breaks or places to surf, I think... Um, Surfing has become very territorial and a little bit competitive and aggressive in that sense as well. So I think any form of outsider in any way, shape or form who is not from the area or is unfamiliar with the break or doesn't support the lifestyle, that free living, easygoing lifestyle, they pretty much get shut out. Mm. So, yeah. Shut out, <laughs> shut out by the community? Yeah, I think I think maybe, I don't know, it's like this weird reinforcement that happens i think there's some sort of there's policing that happens when you surf because like the only way you're able to people are able to get waves or you just kind of have to trade off on them and share the waves so there's automatic policing that already happens in the water um usually it's it's um kind of uh, guided by the person who is goes there the most or like the oldest person at the break there's a lot of uh, if you if you pay attention to a lot of surf spots there's a lot of older people that are like the stewards of the break mm-hmm. so they kind of control it but um but yeah i forgot where i was going with that but yeah so like in terms of that i guess that's a more of a reflection of the community um but nowadays i think it's becoming a little bit more accepting just because the sheer number of beginners and outsiders surfing more casually outnumbers the people who truly live the lifestyle nice so i know for those listening um don't be confused this is we haven't changed the podcast to a surfing (laughs) podcast this is still a podcast about photography and and photographers right but the reason why Gabrielle is uh, so knowledgeable about uh, surfing and, um, you know, she has like some really cool projects based on the beach out there on uh, on the West Coast. So we're going to dive yeah. into um, some, uh, you know, some of those projects later. But I just wanted to let you all know you're still in the right place. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like important to know this stuff because like part of the work that I do is helping share this information because. I didn't have access mm-hmm. to this information when I grew up here. So, I mean, you have to learn. That's great. I mean, av- advocacy is always um, appreciated, right? Like when, mm-hmm. 
we we don't know what we don't know. Right. And then once we start to know some more things, we realize that there's so many other people who don't know. And, yeah. And once we know, then it's sort of like we can't allow other people to go through their process and their journey with this information that we just discovered, knowing that we yes. can help them out earlier in their process so they, they can develop and evolve much quicker than we did, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially as black people, and especially for me as a black woman, I feel an incredible amount of responsibility to share the information with not just other black people and black women, but just other people in general. And yeah. like, I really feel like black women, like we really push the world forward in a lot of different ways. And we are the stewards of change in a lot of ways. And that's just kind of our role in this world. So like, I don't know, I just embrace it. And I just like to share info. So. Absolutely. And the thing about it is, right, like we can share information that might be directed towards a specific group, a niche group. Right. Right. But it doesn't mean that the information is being withheld from anybody else. Absolutely. You can still, like... My focus might be on black and brown photographers, but if you're interested in photography or you're interested in people's origin stories or art, right? Yeah, yeah. You can tune in and still listen and learn and and be inspired, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I feel like for a lot of black photographers, especially black women, non-binary people who just like, we don't fit the paradigm of what this industry supports, which is predominantly white, straight men. Like, we have to, get our shit like we have to figure out our own shit on our own time and like mm-hmm. kind of piecemeal our, our, our journey and like i was able to do that just by listening to podcasts like this of like a bunch of photographers that i admired or just like looking up photographers that literally looked like me and see how they did it i remember when i first started i really looked closely to i think her name is malin fezahai i don't know if i'm saying oh that yeah correctly. yeah i know you're talking about um she works for new york times travels a yeah, lot yeah 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 But she was like one of the first mixed race black women that I saw that worked on international stories and like environmental and conservation issues. And I was like, oh, shit, like, how'd she do it? And she just kind of pieced together some Mm -hmm. sort of career and just like kept her storytelling consistent. So I don't know. It's just important. It's important to share the journey. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So growing up in I, I, I think I misspoke earlier and said you were from L.A., I think. Um, no, well, honestly, it's all the same. Like, I, my family's from LA. My mom grew up in East LA. My grandparents immigrated from Italy to East LA. So, like, we definitely still have roots there. And, like, I grew up probably the first, like, five or six years of my life in LA. And then we moved and now I'm back. So, I mean, I feel like if you're from SoCal, you kind of move all around. Uh-huh. So, uh, so you're, yeah. you're based in LA now. Yeah, I'm based in LA now. I live on the West Side. I all just right. moved. I betrayed my East Siders. I'm sorry. <laughs> It don't get it don't get more east in New York though. I know it's true. It's true. It's true. I would be I would be hella confused if I was out there and like oh I moved to the east side. I'm like the east side. Thinking, yeah. Oh, thinking cross country, but um. Yeah, for real, for real. It's funny because LA is so big and yeah, it's just it's weird. <laughs> so, uh, talk about like what it was like. You uh, you did you're one of three um, daughters, right? Three yes. three um, sisters in in your family. Um, yes. What was life like growing up? You know, um, what was life like in regards to the arts? How did your, your parents view the arts, or, or you know, for you and your sisters? Yeah. So my dad is a designer. He works in film and TV, and like does like product design and like car design and stuff. And my mom, she's artistically inclined. She was 
she was an art gallerist at one point. She was a private investigator. Now she's a teacher. She does everything, but she's like loves the art, supports it. We have like a ton of like Dr. Seuss and Chuck Jones art in our house, which is really cool. Mm. Um, and so like I think just growing up going to museums and sharing that and like watching movies and talking about art, like that was always a part of like growing up and how my family would spend time together, especially with my dad working in the film industry. Like we watched a lot of movies and would talk about story structure and storytelling. So I think from a really early age, like all my sisters and I, we all learned like how to tell stories and how to share stuff. And um, I was always really attracted to how things looked just like um, my dad. So yeah, we used to have conversations about that too. So wow. yeah. That's great. That's great. And, yeah. and and your sisters, are they in uh, creative fields as well? Yeah, my youngest sister, Amelia, she's 21. She is at LA Trade Tech doing um, like a seamstress certification. Mm-hmm. So she designs like, we were talking about it yesterday. She designs like kind of like Bratz dolls clothes, like just like horror. <laughs> that, you know, it's like the wow. fairy horror that's in right now like that's what she's really into and then my other little sister Isabella she's the opposite she's she's a psychologist <laughs> she works with special needs kids um in Orange County so but yeah so and but she's I don't know she has her own way of doing art and stuff she's kind of she inherited my mom's aesthetic like in terms of liking aesthetics but she can't do it mm. so. <laughs> she has yeah. an appreciation Yes, she has an appreciation. That's more positive way, please. <laughs> Rather great. than just shading my sister. <laughs> in in a, in a public format. <laughs> in a public, very very public format. No, I love you, Isabella. Shout out to Isabella. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. So, um, yeah. no, that's that's great. Um, you know, I I sit down and watch movies with my son as well, and. Yeah. Um, he is, is always amazing how, like, we have conversations about scenes and transitions and, you know, um, and he picks up on things that I didn't even pick up on. And that these yeah. could be like key parts of the story. He'd be like, oh, you see that thing disappeared. I was like, what? It disappeared. Rewind. And I'm like, oh, good eye. Right. So oh it's always God. interesting, um, having conversations about art while appreciating it at the same time. And it's also like, I get to see his brain develop in regards to being creative and I get to see his imagination develop. So, you know, um, that's great. You know, my mother is super supportive of me in the arts as well. So, and I see how much that has helped me with my, uh, I guess my outlook on life, you know? So I I just hope to provide him with the same thing. And it's great to see that your, your parents gave y'all that outlet to, to be creative because our education system is not, you know, no. unless you can afford Montessori schools, right? Like education is right. not um, supporting creative pursuits. So right, no, exactly. And I think like just for related but separate is like I feel like because my sisters and I we were some of the only black kids in the area. Like my parents really wanted us to develop critical thinking skills mm-hmm. and observational skills. And I feel like the arts was a really good way to do that. Looking back now, at the time I was just like, Oh my God, I love painting. But like, <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> like now I think like, because like that critical thinking and able to analyze, like that helped us when we would have conversations about race in this area, which happened a lot because like it's a conservative area. Mm. Um, we were able to like 
talk about it and like we think about it and reflect which i think like that's such a that's like why we do art that's why we teach kids art is so they can analyze the world around them and interpret it right and it's so cool that you're teaching your son how to do that because like he oh my god i can't wait to see what he's gonna do honestly uh, all of us <laughs> yeah all of us you know um and i think what's really interesting is that he feels like he can do whatever he wants he can pick up a Ugh. skateboard he can, Love he can it. pick up a skateboard and and go learn tricks or yeah. he can and he can put it down and then go pick up his guitar and start teaching himself how to play songs and yeah i think just by there's a story like you know you like you i'm not even gonna get into the story because i'm gonna mess it up i don't remember it offhand but basically, no no it's good, it's good. <laughs> like this kid was able to like break through this block of ice to save his friend who was mm -hmm. about to drown and when the 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 first responders arrived to the scene he they were like how did you break this open like you're too like in their mind like you're too young you're too you're not strong enough and the reason why he was able to break that ice and save his friend is because nobody told him that he couldn't oh and yeah sometimes that's all we need is yeah nobody to plant we, we nobody to plant a negative seed in our in our yeah. mind because whatever our mind is fertile if right. it'll receive a negative seed or a positive seed and whatever seed we allow to like settle into the soil, that's the kind of thoughts that are going to, that are going to sprout. Right. right. We just right. got to make sure we don't have any, we don't plant any negative seeds in, in the kid's right. brain. Right. Oh my God. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And like that really resonates with me because like, I think growing up in the area that I did, like I, how do I say this? I, my parents taught me that we could do anything. They taught me that blackness is anything it can, we want it to be. Uh -huh. Whatever we want to do, we can do it. And that was so affirming because in the world I was going into at school, like I was literally the only black kid, like in my grade. And then it wasn't until second grade that another black girl came in. And then by fifth grade, there was like three of us. So like, <laughs> I think it was just like crazy to like be in an environment where like I would be at home and like we were Italian and we're black and like we're like my known is living with us and like I'm hearing Italian at home and like then I'm going into school and like there's just like all these like white kids like ask like touching my hair and like like asking me like why my my dad isn't Italian even though like I remember I got into an argument with a kid once that like my dad was Italian because like I just didn't understand like the nuances i guess and so they're like no your dad's not italian he's black and i was like no he's italian what are you talking about and i got so pissed off and like i literally had to be separated from the kid because like i thought like the teacher thought i was gonna like throw hands um <laughs> but like yeah so it's like stuff like that and like i think just having my parents be so supportive and like encouraging of my creativity and like my imagination especially and then encouraging me to try surfing even though it was a really competitive environment was like really really helpful and i'm just so grateful for them for that and like i just i hope we can all experience that kind of support in our lives and like i think we felt that like you know, just coming up through the photo industry, like I would not be here if it weren't for like the support and like imaginations of my mentors who were just like pushed me in the right way, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, what I, what I love about uh, being able to speak to so many different photographers from different backgrounds, different uh, locations, 
um, mm-hmm. different, you know, family experiences and upbringings. It's like not all of our stories are the same, you know. Right. Um, and there are some folks such as yourself who had support early on, right? In, in, right. In, as far as pursuing creative uh, goals. But then right. there's a there's a, a bunch of photographers also who didn't have support, right? Right. And had to right. figure out how to navigate the, this this industry um, going up against their parents, in a sense, right? right? As the first roadblock. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and then getting into an industry that is not always supportive of us, right? Right. And it's important to share both, all, all these different perspectives, because somebody out there needs to hear a perspective that resonates with them. So it's great yeah. to hear that you had the support and we could kind of see what happens when somebody does get support, what that does right. for their, their outlook and for their confidence and for the uh, opportunities they have, you know? Right. And that's, that's all it really comes down to, right. Is like, is the support there or not? And like, we can provide that support support for ourselves or we can have that extra push from the community around us. And it's that extra push that does it, that gets us to this next level. Yeah. And like that, that support can come in terms of like money. It can come in terms of just like, you know, f- like social standing, whatever. And it's like, sometimes it can be great. Sometimes it can be fucked up, but mm-hmm. like, that's what, that's what gets you forward. And I, and I think like now, I don't know about you, but now that I'm at the position I'm at now, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking of how grateful I am to be here. And, but also appreciative of like all the little steps that have gotten me here. And mm-hmm. also like, what was I going to say? Kind of noticing Cause I don't know, I'm like 29. So I'm starting to see like the divide of where my friends who are starting to go further in photography and the ones who are kind of staying where they're at. And like, it really comes down to those, those foundations, that structure of mm-hmm. how they process information. Did they have that support? Like where's their mental health at that kind of stuff. So, yeah. and that's, that's so interesting to me because like, they don't, they don't tell you that they're like, break your back, work hard, make money. But then like, like what what does that leave you with at the end of the day you're just like dead and yeah. like you know i don't know i don't know if that made sense but no yeah. it, it does it does and um you know i think we're at the point where if like i was saying earlier you know we have certain information i have certain information based on uh you know my own lived experience based on uh, yeah. research you know um and all of those things right so you know and then all all the conversations that you know, I've been able to have with different photographers, like I mm-hmm. learned from everybody. I learned from right. everybody. It's such a blessing, right? Um, yeah. And then to be able to take some of the stuff that I've learned and then like, you know, condense it to be able mm-hmm. to speak to like a young person who's trying to figure out their path. If I have, and I have so much different resources that, yeah. you know, I can either point them, I can point them in the direction if I can't help them directly and i think that's what we yeah. need to continue doing is if you have some information share it share it don't keep it to yourself you know yeah um do you know law roach zendaya's old stylist yeah um yeah i know what you're talking about he just yeah. he's a fashion fashion uh person just just retired from the game yes exactly but um he did an interview oh my god i think it was with vogue like post retirement and he was talking about how he was the first stylist to style the white girls mm. and all the A-listers is what he meant. Not just the A-list black women because who, because he was recommended through the grapevine, um, eventually up the, 
up the the hierarchy up to these white women. And he said that he had to befriend and network with a lot of white people that didn't know there was this whole underbelly of like queer and like people of color stylists that were doing like really radical work. And and eventually when he made it to the top, he realized that like he could start bringing up other people of color and queer stylists to follow in his footsteps with the information that he found and with the connections that he made. And he, I think at one point he was just like, like there weren't as many like black and brown and queer stylists when I first started. And it's literally, I'm one of the reasons. And like, I mean, law is always going to like claim that he's bigger than he is, but which he is a big deal, but you know what I mean? So like, it's that, I think that story is such a testament to just what you just said. It's like, it really matters like where we are and where that information is held and how we share it. And like, I don't know about you. I'm an open book. Like if anyone DMs me, I will tell them what film I used, what I did, whatever. Cause like, I don't care no matter who you are. It doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. that's great. That's yes. great. Um, I was just having this conversation with, um, the editor last night about, mm-hmm. um, when I worked with her, she was the only editor that, uh, gave feedback and actually sat yeah. down. Like I, I, I will go out on assignment come back and share photos with her and you know she would invite me to her office uh and we would sit down and go through the photos together and i would learn how an editor thinks right yeah and that helped me to go back out and photograph better and Mm -hmm. there's so many publications that the editors don't do that and it's such a disservice to the photographers a disservice to the industry it's like all this withheld information and yeah. um, I just think that, you know, it more needs to be shared, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think also like coming up through the internship program, cause I interned at like, oh my God, uh, San Francisco Chronicle, Tampa Bay Times, Las Vegas Review Journal and the New York Times. And I worked at the LA Times. Like I realized that like people are just tired, mm. like people are just tired and a lot of them aren't paid that well. And they, they start out like being passionate about their job and wanting to help. But like at the end of the day, when, by the time they're like 50, 60 years old, they're tired and they do not want to do their job anymore or as well as they wanted to mm-hmm. because of X, Y, and Z. And that is such a pervasive issue throughout our industry burnout. And that is why, like, I really feel like that is one of the reasons why, like, we don't get feedback and like, we don't get that care and attention that we need in the places where I would receive that care and attention as an intern were places where people were just better paid. Mm, okay. Very interesting. And, yeah. So like, and then like looking back on my time, I'm just like, oh my God, like the best experience I had were like at institutions where they were just better structured and supported and the leadership was really great, you know? And so like, it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's so fucked up and it like really bothers me because there's so much talent out there that just gets pushed out of the news industry or whatever, whatever industry, we don't have to talk about just the news, but like, especially in photography, like if you don't get the feedback and if you don't get pointed in the right direction, like, where do you go? Like, (laughs) you just kind of fall out and it's like not cool. Cause like, it's not anyone, it's not our fault. It's not the photographer's fault. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm biased. Like I never blame the photographer. I always will blame it on that. <laughs> no, there's some, well, like, some situations with photographers, <laughs> you know, coming with no, some, I, some entitlement, you know, no, I agree with 
with that. I agree with that. But I guess just in, in my case, speaking with the perspective of like an intern or someone learning, mm-hmm. yeah, is like, yeah, is like I don't. You can't blame someone. They're just trying to learn. I mean, yeah. there's there's definitely assholes. Uh, no, but yeah. So I don't know. No, I I, I hear you too. I hear you right. When when someone's learning and they they're eager to learn and they get into a position that's designed for them to learn, you know, it trickles down from the top, right? So like yeah. whatever um, habits and patterns or behaviors that the people in leadership are exhibiting to the young person learning, th- yeah. those are going to be very influential for that young yes. person, and they're going to think that this is how the game is played and it doesn't have absolutely absolutely and i try to tell like people who are going into internships or young photographers like look like i know that you're learning and you're wanting to absorb everything like a sponge but just try to be aware that like the people that you're working with they're also going through shit and like Mm -hmm. what how they're like how things are coming off or what they said like you don't have to take it all in you can take it with a grain of salt like you're forming yourself right now you don't need to like listen to them yeah they're people of authority but like i don't know fuck authority to some extent. i don't know it's like it's just like kind of take it all in and i don't know i feel like i was i i had to figure that out the hard way and um eventually i kind of corrected myself but yeah it's not easy especially when I don't know. I just didn't really feel that much support at some points. So yeah, yeah. You, you speak like a true rebel artist. Like you sound like you're like fuck authority. I'm like yeah, fuck authority. Like that's been my whole thing for forever. I get in tr- I, that, gets, yeah. that gets me in trouble. So that gets me in trouble so much because I'm like nah, everybody's going right and I'm going left. Yeah. You know? Everything. Yeah. They, they, everybody's using red paint. I'm using orange. I'm using. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I always had to do my own thing and go against the grain. And um, yeah. But I think it's important for young people to know. Uh, like I was having this conversation with my son earlier this week about he was on Facetime with a friend, and and his friend was. Uh, I look over on the tablet, and his friend is playing like this some video. My son is eight years old. His friend is his <laughs> classmate. He's eight as well. And mm-hmm. the video content that this young person was playing was very questionable. And I was like, yo, Uh-oh. what is that? What is that? And it looked like, you know, a music video looked like they're doing like all these hand gestures, I don't know, like gang signs or, or, or gunplay or whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, Pop, you watching that? He's like, I was like, what is that? He was like, I don't know. I was like, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? He was like, I don't know. He just started playing it. And I was like, well, how do you feel looking at it? He was like, I don't know. Like he was like, it seemed like he was genuinely confused. But I was like, did it make you feel comfortable? He was like, not really. And I was like, well, that's something you got to pay attention to. I said, Mm -hmm. if you're ever in a situation, right, whether it's like on FaceTime or you're hanging with some friends and they're doing something, saying something that makes you feel uncomfortable, leave. Mm -hmm. I said, Mm -hmm. remove Mm -hmm. yourself from that environment. I said, learn to pay attention to how that, that sensation of what you're feeling so that when it comes up again, because it will, Right. Yeah. You're able to recognize it and you remove yourself. You don't have to explain. You don't have to yeah. give them a heads up. You know? Yeah. But just yeah. remove yourself. Right. Learn to recognize that and bounce. And, you know, so many young impressionable photographers get that first gig, get that internship, get that first assignment and think that like they have to take a bunch of bullshit from the people that yeah. are in there. And it's like, well, no, tap in. Does that make you feel good? Uh, the way that they're communicating with you, does that feel good? 
right? right? Does that make you comfortable or uncomfortable? Like pay attention to those things. And if, again, if working with this person or in this environment makes you feel uncomfortable, remove yourself. I know it's easier right. said than done because we all need to eat, but right. you still right. need to recognize it so that we can plan our escape route at some point. Right, right. Or, or just even learn how to work with them or around them. Yeah, you know? just recognize it, right? You got to keep, yeah. keep your distance, you know? Yeah, there's so much power in that. And, like, I don't think as, like, young people or just, like, people in general, like, we're not, especially women, oh, my God, we're not really, like, encouraged to recognize that feeling. I think with the Me Too movement, I think our feelings of just being uncomfortable in general, not even a sexual way, like, we're being validated. So, like, I think that, that it's it's so important to know that, like, oh, my God, just being reflexive, like, self-reflexive in mm-hmm. any way is just, like, as a person, as an artist, like... I think that's like you just have to pay attention to like any of those little like little irks where you're like, yeah. oh, what what's this? What's going on? Like, what's that feeling? So, so I don't, yeah. I haven't heard car alarms in a long time, right? Um, Sorry, you haven't heard what? car alarms, right? That used oh. to that was big in like the '90s, 2000s, whatever. I have, I don't hear them too much anymore because yeah. security systems have improved, right? But um, when I, I remember one day a car alarm was going off outside my my house and uh-huh. it had been going off for like i don't know 10 minutes and oh it's like right and yeah when it starts it's it's annoying and then after yeah. uh, after like a minute or two and it doesn't stop it because it becomes part of your background noise right right so our mind gets well adapted to that sound we adjust to it yeah. we're like all right cool it's this alarm in the background and we learn how to function with that. And then all of a sudden, the alarm would stop. And then mm-hmm. we realized, like, all this anxiety that we were just feeling just sort of disappeared. And we're like, yo, yeah. I feel much, I'm breathing deeper. Like, I feel much more calm. Like, what happened? Then you realize, oh, that alarm just stopped. That thing that was, like, I thought was normal just stopped. Right? Yeah. And yeah. when we're in those situations, and I know you're speaking about, like I don't obviously I don't know what it's like to go through the world as a as a black woman, right? Right. But that discomfort that you said you're not able to learn that 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 you weren't really taught to to recognize, like mm-hmm. is like that alarm. It's like it's just always there. And then when you find yeah. yourself in a situation that is healthy and is uh you know supportive, you're like, Oh shit, that's what it feels no. like. Yeah, yeah, it's so fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. Just the normalization of all of that. Like, so much is normalized. Oh, my gosh. This is related, but also kind of not. So I started doing reporting in West Africa this year. Oh, where at? Where at? So I was in Ghana and I was in Cameroon. Yo, I was just about to bring up Ghana because I lived in Ghana for, for like nine what? nine months back in 2016. What? Where? In Accra. You lived in Accra? Yeah. Oh, that's so sick. What part? Uh, I lived in uh, North Lagoon. Okay, cool. Oh, my God. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, Accra was sick. It's changing so much. I got to get back there. I know like, I know it's changed. I mean, with all the, the influx of of tourism and celebrities, yeah. and you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it grow. It's 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 good. It's like a mix of both. It's like it's such a unique opportunity for Accra to become 
a global city, but also respect the local people and respect the fishing villages. I was in the fishing villages and like respect all the beach communities around there because that like there's surf spots all over there. I was looking at, I was like, Oh my God, there's so much surfing here. This is all going to be bulldozed and like turned into resorts and like surf camps. And like, and we, we were there and like, we were at, uh, the one of the fishing villages in Accra and like they were like yeah like the city's coming in the government's coming in they're doing tours of the area they're gonna bulldoze all of this like this is gonna be gone in 30 years we went to um Jamestown Jamestown with the lighthouse Mm -hmm. with the lighthouse and we were on the beach right there um and they were like yeah this is like I guess it's the largest breeding ground for all the the cattle in Mm. Ghana Wow, I didn't know that. Which is, which is insane. So it's like an entire strip of beach, and it's just all cows and cattle. And um, they were like, yeah, this is all going to get moved interior, or it's just going to get moved, and, like, all these people are going to be out of work. And I was like, this is so crazy. Like, they have such a great opportunity to just protect people and gentrify in a way that's just equitable, but they're just not going to fucking do that. Mm. And, like, it's just, like, you can see it with, like, the amount of money that's there. Like, it's insane there's like really fucking nice italian restaurants there now like it's crazy it's like equitable to like any european city like it's crazy so but it sounded yeah. okay it sounded like you you were bringing up a point um uh, oh yeah i was yeah. i like got so off track i got no I, no like, i got you i'll bring you back i'll bring you back yeah bring you back, bring you back. so <laughs> what were we talking about oh just like how things are normally so i started yeah. recording I started reporting in West Africa this year after a grant from Save Our Seas, which um, is a conservation grant oh, that's nice. given to researchers throughout majority world countries and all over the world and helps them do their research. So one of the reasons why I went to West Africa was because it's like a, a hub of sharks and rays in the world. There's mm-hmm. a ton of biodiversity there, but there's no baseline for what kind of species are there and how many are there. And so there's like a bunch of, there's a few researchers. I should say a bunch, a bunch of meaning like they're all trying to collaborate, but there really aren't that many. There's probably like four or five, um, not very many of West African origin, to be honest, who are trying to piece together some sort of baseline and they don't have very many resources, but they're doing it. So I got to, I've gone around with a bunch of researchers into different fishing villages, visiting kind of like, um, how the fishermen like live their lives and how they use the sharks and to survive because they use it as a means of cheap meat and also ship Mm. it out. So um, it was amazing. And, um, but anyways, being there as a light skinned African-American woman was gnarly because, and because I'm a foreign and I'm light Mm -hmm. and I'm a woman. So it was just crazy how normalized the treatment of women is there. And of course, like we hear about West Africa and we understand this very patriarchal society, but like it was weird being there and like, like I was just being randomly grabbed and kissed and like, Oh wow. Um, like just challenged constantly and by some people, not everyone, a lot of the people I was working with were really wonderful and understanding, but like there were some instances where like, it was like really hard to like get people to listen to me. And like the first round when I was in Ghana, I brought my friend who's a white guy and like, I felt safe and like, I was not messed with as much as when I was in Cameroon. Cause I was by myself in Cameroon and like, it was weird. Cause he acted as a buffer. Um, I guess it's not that weird, but it's, interesting being in the u.s and we have all these issues we talk about and subtly experience but then when you go to like a majority world country 
it just happens and it's in front of you and it's very apparent. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. So it was just, it was wild seeing, having, bringing him to Ghana and then being on my own in Cameroon and not having that buffer of another person, let alone a man or a white man. And having like, literally I was grabbed and kissed like three or four different times. It was crazy. And like, I was just wearing like a big t-shirt and like leggings. Like I wasn't showing any skin. Mm -hmm. Like if I would wear a tank top one day, cause it was hot, it was like lights out game over. So like open season open fucking season like on me I might as well wear a fucking target on my back but mm. being a I was white there essentially so basically was but anyways so it was like I guess like going back to the point is like like all these things are normalized like all these forms of oppression are just super normalized I think in the world not in places like West Africa and it's just crazy that like I was being thrown into it and on top of that I had the photograph. So, like, I was processing sexism, all this other stuff, but I was also having to make, like, really compassionate pictures of, like, of people. So, like, I was, I really had to learn how to compartmentalize all that and still make images. And I came away with images that I enjoyed, but I think one thing that, like, I didn't really know or realize about international reporting is, like, shit goes sideways all the time it's actually really fucking stressful because you just want to get pictures and people don't understand what you're doing completely especially when you're working in in a majority world country that like that so it's like it's really fucking hard to get what you need to do Uh done so when you get that opportunity it's like game on like you can't mess up so and it's like even if you're like stressed out because like for me like guys were grabbing me and like telling me that like no are you just a national geographic photographer like pay us like just being Mm. harassed and like having to like photograph at the same time was like a lot but it was a really good learning lesson and like now i have that experience but it's crazy (laughs) so i don't know how that wraps in with like normalization but i guess i had to kind of normalize that behavior to like work through it (laughs) yeah in order to be to to uh, be uh, effective or to to produce something, right? Like, because otherwise, yeah. they're like, "Well, what did we give you this money for?" And and send no, you to yeah. This? But that's something that's not taught, and it's it's unfair, right? right? Because my experience in Ghana was completely different from yours. Right. Like, right. And while I can go and travel to this predominantly black country, and not and and. The normalization of racism and, and stereotyping and prejudice that I experienced here in the U.S., I was able to let that go. I was able right. to just kind of breathe a little easier. The, the car alarm, right. went, you know, turned off for me in regards to yeah. that out there. And while yeah. one alarm turned off for you, maybe um, another one was going off. And you, and as a yeah. woman, you have to learn how you had to learn how to uh, survive and um, be productive. And yeah, but what happens with all of that compartmentalization? Like you have to, it right. has to be released somewhere, right? And no, absolutely. How many of us have those outlets or, or are aware that we need to release the things that we put into these compartments? 
No, it's true. I mean, that's why I like after I got back, I just like slept for two days and then like went out and surfed the shittiest waves ever, just getting slammed for like mm-hmm. three days straight. Mm-hmm. But but it's true. And like, what was I gonna say? I think like, but the, I think on top of that, like if I just went to Accra or like to Ghana or Cameroon and just to enjoy it and have a good time, that. I would I would fit in with the flow of things a lot better than trying to get have like American deliverables on a Cameroonian or Ghanaian timeline. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And like that kind of pressure is considered disrespectful and like doesn't flow with how things flow there. And mm-hmm. so I think like coming in for me with that sort of kinetic energy already was a little abrasive and a little nerve-wracking and on top of that being like a cute light-skinned black girl was just like i don't know it's like you know when like when stuff happens a lot to like men they just get horny even if it's just like a bunch of different emotions (laughs) they just get horny It's, it's, it's a weird outlet for things so like and i also think it was like a weird method of control as well with having to like physically grab me and stuff so i don't know i'm still very much figuring it out probably not saying all the right things but i'm open to being wrong and just trying to have this discussion because like there aren't a lot of women that look like me american women that look like me that do this and i'm trying to find them so if you know of anyone please let me know because i just need to talk to people about this because like i was able to connect to a lot of like older women who weren't african-american and like they were able to help and be super like super helpful but it didn't hit in the way that like you know so i'm just trying to figure that out because it's like hard but it's it's good and i'm grateful to do it but it's just really intense so So. all right so you had this experience earlier this year right Um, like three weeks ago actually Wow. <laughs> I just recent. got back. So it's still fresh. Brilliant. How long were you there for? Um I was there for about thirteen days in Cameroon and about sixteen in Ghana. Oh, that's not a lot of time. Um, it's not. And that's I think why I ran into so many issues is because if I was there for two months, I would things would have flowed a lot easier. But because I had to kind of push people, it was harder. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. on um a, a completely different uh timeline. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which I love. Love that timeline, but not when I have to photograph. <laughs> yeah, not when there's like you said. You said it perfectly. You said um, you're trying to you know work in these in these countries on an American timeline. Like that's just yeah, like, that's brutal. Um, it's fucked up. <laughs> what would you do differently if you um if you got the call to go go again, like say in July? How would you prepare, and what would you go do differently? I would go for at least two and a half or three weeks and I would bring an assistant again. Mm. How would the assistant, how would the assistant um, help your process? I think for me, also, first of all, side note, I did not realize that all the Nat Geo guys bring assistants. Mm. Was this for Nat, was this for Nat Geo? No, no, no. It's, it's so a lot of the Nat Geo people run this, um, run this foundation or like volunteer. So like my mentor is actually Thomas Peshak, who is a uh, marine biologist and also like ocean photographer for National Geographic. He's amazing. Love him. Follow him. Um, he, he was like, you need to bring an assistant. Like you can't fuck this up. And I was like, I can do that. And he's like, yeah, everyone does it. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, wow. 
no one fucking told me this shit. They all like they all bring like three or four assistants. <laughs> I was like, no wonder they're getting these images. Exactly. They're relaxed as exactly. fuck. And Not they, to cuss that much, but I was like, damn. <laughs> they, and they, they get fixers, people on the ground yeah. right, that speak the language or all yes. of these things, right? You don't, There's a you don't whole know. team. Yeah. There's a whole team. And we're out here in America doing it ourselves. And I'm like, I, give me a fixer. Yep. Anyways, so, um, so he was like, you need to bring that because I think the assistant, they're a good buffer and they help free your mind up. Because like I said, I'm thinking about my survival and I'm thinking about my images. I'm not planning for anything else. And I think when you're in those kinds of environments, you kind of revert to that thinking because that's kind of what, how people think. But um, yeah, so the assistant, like when I brought uh, my friend, he was able to set up lights for me, look up for portrait locations, mm. communicate with the researcher of what was going next so he could keep things moving along, give me water. And also it was like um, like a companion to bounce things off of so we yeah. could just like nudge each other and be like, damn, this is crazy, right? We're like, yeah. yeah, and then we'd like kind of giggle and like kind of move on because like – when you're alone, when I found that when I was alone in these environments, it was a lot to try to do that all myself. And I would try to, I would miss things. And like, you don't want to miss things because you're there for like 10 days. You mm-hmm. can't mess up, you know? So they, it, they, an assistant just helps that. And like, I think everyone, when they do an assignment like that, should always ask for an assistant. Um, I, I did well in Cameroon because I knew what to expect. And like, he helped me plan ahead of time. So I was just good to go. But, yeah, it's why, like why wasn't could, he present at both in both countries? Um, he had to work, and then I couldn't find anyone else who was willing to come with me. Um, what? Which is fine. <laughs> no, no, I know, dude. Honestly, it's kind of whack because I was like, you're you don't want to go to Cameroon for free and just eat good ass smoked chicken <laughs> all the time. The f- yo, yo. How, next time you're in a in a, in, a, in a situation like that, yo. Give us a shout, man. We'll hook you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next time, I'll call you guys. It was super last minute. It was, like, literally within the last day. And, like, I, like, I just was, like, I'm the kind of person that's, like, fuck it. I'll deal with it. And also, like, there's a good enough support system in Cameroon to where it was okay. I think Ghana was harder because it was just one person organizing mm. everything. Yeah. But Cameroon, it was, like, a whole network. But, but yeah, definitely. Next time, I'll reach out to you guys. <laughs> dope, dope. So, uh, I don't think we spoke about it, but, like, uh, where'd you go to school? What'd you study? Like, how'd you get on this path of photography? Because we kind of just jumped right in with like surfing, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're in West Africa taking pictures. So, yeah, I like... know. We, we landed in Cameroon. <laughs> um, which, honestly, typical conversation for me. But um, so I went to community college uh-huh. in Oceanside, and then I transferred to San Francisco State, and I studied environmental science. Ah. and environmental justice and that kind of stuff. And I did photography on the side because I figured it out that I wanted to do photography when I was an intern at a Marine Institute in Dana Point. And I was doing research and I was photographing like the process around the research. And I was like, oh, this is better than numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's when I started it. And then I wasn't allowed to join the journalism program at SF State for whatever reason. It didn't make any sense. So I worked at um, City College of San Francisco, which, in my opinion, has a better journalism program than SF State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't don't shoot me. Um, it's just because the passion, I think, was there. So I was able to work as the only staff photographer there and like did a bunch of assignments, covered every pro- protest known to man. This was in like... 
2015. So this was leading up to 2016. Mm, so this yeah. is when like Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos was in Berkeley, like all those guys, like Gavin McGinnis was just starting to go insane. So like all that stuff is starting to happen. So I covered all of that with my friends and then I got an internship at the SF Chronicle through um, networking, honestly. So, yeah. That's a big part of the game. You know? Yep. It's a huge part of the game. Right. I would not be here if it weren't for that. And, so. you know, I know networking gets like, uh, sometimes people hear the word networking is it, it could be a little cringy sometimes. Um Cause it just, yeah. it could sound like it's like, Hey, here's my card. Here's my card. Right. And it's like, right. you know, I remember I, I always tell the story. I remember uh, years ago when I started my first business, uh, it's called insomnia productions. Cause we were always up late trying to finish projects <laughs> and stuff. Right. It's probably cause we weren't really that efficient back then. Right. Um, <laughs> so we ended up staying up way later than we, we needed to. Um, but I remember we got our business cards. Right. And, I would just be slinging these cards like ninja stars. Like, hey, you need a, you want a business card? Phew. You want a business card? Phew. Just just throwing them all, giving them to everybody, right? Like, here, take three, right? And the thing is, like, with, you know, with business cards or even, like, exchanging information, it, it's almost pointless if you don't have a conversation worth remembering. Right. Right? And right. Yeah, so I was just giving business cards because I felt like that's what you do and that's right. network networking and now in yes. photography like you know um been able to have a lot of conversations with a lot of different photographers like not even recording but just in general photographers editors artists you know musicians all these all these things and um when there's meaningful conversation then it's like okay this is somebody that I can actually see myself working with right. because I, right. I, I love working with people that I would hang out with. Yes. You know I mean? That's all that matters, especially in the commercial space. Like I, and it's like you, you vet automatically the people who share your values and they'll bring you onto projects that you will excel at and mm -hmm. like, you'll enjoy it, you mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. And like, that's, that's what matters. And like, like, I don't want to connect with some person that I don't really, like, I don't care, you know, or it's it's just a name that I'm trying to get on my resume, you know, mm -hmm. like, and people see through, see through that. that very, yeah. very quickly. Yeah, they can, yeah, so I think, yeah, exactly, and you just have to keep it real, I think, and just be authentic, and, like, the networking will just happen, you know? Absolutely. Be honest, honest with your intentions. Absolutely. It's about genuine connection. Like everything, especially as photographers, right? We get the best f images when we are able to establish a genuine connection with the people we're photographing, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's yeah. the same thing. You just be just be a genuine, good person and, and yeah. you'll, you'll connect with other genuine, good people. Yeah. Just like, don't be a jerk. Exactly. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a dick. This so, is not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all right, you discovered photography late. Uh, not late, yeah. but um, I would I say, no, nah, it's, it's, it's on time, right? You discovered it when you're supposed to discover it, right? Because what, what I think is interesting about your story is that pursuing, like you grew up in the beach town, so it sounds mm -hmm. like you grew up, spent a lot of time on the beach, yep. pursued environmental science, and mm -hmm. like I think it's, for me, it's, the story sounds great because it sounds like you established Thing, something that you were passionate about first and then yeah. picked up the camera 
right? Yes. Now, have yes. you picked up the camera for? I mean, who's to say, right? I'm just, right. I'm just, uh, I'm just spitballing right now, right? But right. if you were to pick up the camera and started pursuing photography first, like, would you have developed this passion for environmental science? Would you have gone down a path of this is what a photographer is supposed to do and cover versus I'm interested in this thing, this thing um, that impacts the whole world, right? And now, right. and this is what I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, what I want to, um, you know, give my talents towards, oh, shoot, here's a camera. Let me use this camera to document this thing that I'm passionate about. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of more like that. I mean, I think, I don't think I'm the kind of person that would pick up something and then, like, just try to figure it out as... Like, well, no, I kind of did that with photography, but <laughs> <laughs> I like, but what I mean is like, I am very motivated by concepts and things. And I think I attribute it back to my parents mm -hmm. of like storytelling and like, like my dad always like told us, like, make sure you have like a purpose for mm -hmm. what you're doing, you know, like, don't just pick it up and do it because you're supposed to do it. Like yeah. have a reason, you know? So like, I always knew I wanted to work in the sciences, but I'm not, I suck at math. So like, I, I knew that I couldn't always engage with it in like an art way. And like, as I was doing research, I, I like, I was like always really attracted to photography and like, especially with like national geographic photographers. And when I started looking into it and this is where like Malin comes in, like, Oh, actually, no. Well, I found Malin. I was like, oh, shit, she looks like a dude. But then I, when I did more research and I found, like, uh, Amy Vitale and, mm -hmm. like, found out that she, like, I think she did research at some point or was a scientist and, like, found out, like, all these Nat Geo photographers were actually researchers originally. And I was like, that makes so much sense, actually. So I was like, oh, like, you don't have to just know photography and then fall into whatever you want to do. Like, if yeah. you have a story, if you have something to tell, you can use it as a tool. Like, it doesn't matter what the tool is as long as you have that, that story or that value you want to kind of discuss. And, so. and, you know, when you have, like, that, that, that driving passion in a field that is not art-related, Right? Yeah, and you eventually learn photography to document that that you know that um that that topic or that subject that you're interested in. It gives your work a completely unique perspective. Like yeah, most of us can learn, pick up a camera, watch a few YouTube videos, and learn the technical aspects of how to make a good image. Most right. of us can do that. We can learn composition right. and practice that on that. But if you're only doing that like yo all these um camera reviewers <laughs> yo that are like the Im yo i mean <laughs> the images ain't great they're not great they're not great they're technically they're sound great. yeah but they're boring as shit they're bland right yeah um, because yeah. because the, there's no depth to what they're photographing but if you have yeah. depth to your story and then you pick up a camera and start learning how to use it to tell that unique story that gives your work a completely different feel that nobody like it's very hard to replicate you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean like like any artist like you have to live like you, can, yeah. you have to pull from your experiences yeah. and i think like we really get caught up in this news photography especially documentary photography that like we get so caught up in like documenting other people's experiences that we forget our own yeah and like like where does that leave you that leaves you with like a 
like a stock image that leaves you with like a like a very newsy looking image that has no depth to it like the best images like the photographer's living it like eugene richards he is in that you know what i'm saying like so anyone honestly so i think realizing that and like a couple of my mentors told me that like michelle agents yeah OG, we love her. Shout out to her. Michelle, um, not Michelle, um, Anna Franco um, always taught me to photograph with my senses. Like if I was stuck to start smelling and like mm. seeing and like observing and slowing down. But also, it. yeah, it's just like great. Like just all that kind of stuff. And like, like I had a conversation with Damon Winter one time and he was like, I look for patterns in light. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, sick. So I don't know. It's just like all that kind of stuff. And then I think finally when I started working on the Surfer Project, like I was like all of a sudden photographing from like a deeply personal space and I was able to learn and develop an even more nuanced vocabulary for my emotions and experiences and how to translate that into film and photography, which is like, Everyone should do that. Everyone should do a personal project so you can learn how to do that because, like, it was crazy. Yo, seriously. Um, personal projects, like, I, you know, before photography, you know, I have a history as a creative director in advertising. Ooh. And, oh, you know, so I, you know, I, I think about imagery from, like, a design perspective, uh, mm -hmm. from topography, like how type is going to work with the image. And uh, mm -hmm. also how photos are going to work and how video plays or how all these things tie together, right, to tell a story. I remember I would, after spending like hours working on like these client campaigns, I would stay late after work and yeah. design for fun. You know, I would design just to kind of cleanse my, my brain of all the client stuff that I had to do. Because sometimes the clients don't really know what they want. You just give them right. what they ask for. You can't really... You know, right. it's hard to kind of win that battle. So, you know, um, I realized early that client work is not my work. Like, right. And sometimes the final product is not something that I feel proud of, you know, mm -hmm. even yeah. though it, it can win awards, it could like be on TV or whatever. And it's something I'm just like, man, that's not my original idea. And the right. same thing, like we can go out and make a whole bunch of photos, give it to the editor and, and the, the edit that they put together, you just like damn where's that hero shot that i that i love so much right it doesn't the 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 editor's take doesn't reflect what you wanted to right so right. personal projects are always great because you're the editor you're the creative director you're the boss you do yeah. what you want and, and present it how you want and right. nobody to answer to and this is your work unfiltered and i think it's right. very important to um practice doing personal projects and practice releasing it unfiltered because mm -hmm. the unfiltered the unfiltered version represents your voice as as closely as possible and if we're right. always just allowing somebody else to take our voice and make it sound however they want we we, we give up a piece of our um creativity you know yeah well said yes and it's but it's such a catch-22 right because like you have to balance that with also making money. Yes. And, and so like right now, my journey is I'm getting more into the commercial side of things and I'm trying to balance like how do I make images that both please me and the client? Mm -hmm. Like how do I 
do those what they need and then split off and calm myself down to just see how I see in a, in a pressure environment, you yeah. know, yeah. people telling you what to do and getting in your head, you know? So like, and it's hard, but it's also like, I'm, I'm glad that I've done the personal projects because it makes it, it I'm had access to that vocabulary a lot quicker. Yeah. Whereas if I was just constantly doing client work or just doing news assignments or whatever, like I wouldn't know what the fuck I was doing. I'd be like, well, there's a window with nice light. You know, I wouldn't think about like how to light it in a way that I like or mm-hmm. using cut light and stuff like that. So, yeah. And, you know, personal projects also, you know, give you the opportunity to experiment so that yes. um, when you do get on set for a client, you've already got a lot of this experimentation. You don't experiment on the job. Like no, no. <laughs> no. don't take don't experiment on the job. You you do that on your own time, and yeah. it makes it look like it, it just gives you more tools to problem solve on the fly. When you do, mm-hmm. you when you do encounter a problem on a client job, you're just like, all right, cool. I've, I've I've experienced something like this before in this personal project. Now let me just take that same experience and trans transfer it over to here, right? Right. Um, but something that's always interesting is from when I was in advertising, even to now in photography, people always asking, what personal projects are you working on? Right. I've, I've gotten more work throughout my career through folks looking at my personal projects than looking at like my commission projects. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what my rep said, like the personal project gets you hired and the com- the the commission work just pros- shows that you can do it. It's the validation. Yeah, it's the validation. Mm-hmm. So like you just need you need a big portfolio of work of like kids and buildings and food just to show that you can do it. And then like, mm. yeah. I mean, honestly, I love that I have a book now because it's such a flex to like just throw down a book. <laughs> Yo, that's dope. You know, it's, it's not sick. I, I respect all the photographers who make books and what is it called yeah. Mon- mono- monograms. Yeah, monographs. monographs. I have a monograph. Monographs. Now. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Talk to us about this this book. Yeah. So it's called "I Just Want to Surf," and mm-hmm. it's about my experience growing up in San Clemente and just kind of how it was like, you know, growing up as well, only black girl surfer, and stopping for a bit, and then coming back and like finding community with a bunch of amazing women, non-binary people, trans people that I now surf with all the time. Mm-hmm. And it also talks about depression a lot. Um, uh, it talks about belonging. It talks about, yeah, just kind of all of that and like identity and community and the environment. So all of that kind of mixed into one. So, and it was shortlisted for an aperture prize, which was great. And nice. that was crazy. And it's won a couple of design awards in the Netherlands, which is really cool. So it's doing really well. Congratulations. That's great. And and it sounds like this surf project was a personal project. Yes, it was a personal project. And Uh I literally, it, it has paid my bills like for, for real. And I think the timing of it was correct in that, like I started working on it right before the kind of racial reckoning started Uh happening, which we were, we were having a moment with black lives matter, but then it really hit that. It really hit the fan in 2020. Uh And, and then I think after that, there was, we we all experienced it, like that huge explosion of need for black photographers Uh and black women photographers that came and especially black stories. And, um, 
yeah, it just, there was such a need for it. And I was able to work for Apple and Airbnb a lot and like use the surfer work as like, people just wanted black surfers. Mm -hmm. Like I always, I say to, I tell myself that like ad, ad people and just people in general love black people on horses and surfboards. (laughs) (laughs) People lose their shit when they see a black person on a horse and a black person on a board. It's weird. <laughs> now, now the 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 black person who rides their horse to the beach carrying their surfboard, yes, lose their mind, <laughs> lose that their would, mind. <laughs> that would win an award. Yeah, you should. I, I want to, yo, Gabriella, you gotta set that photo up for me, please. Like, <laughs> I get do. Somebody, I, yo, know, I do. I will I frame that. Do. Get yo, get that. Get 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 homie that you took to Ghana to, to like do some. Uh, <laughs> you know, scoping out the scene and like get somebody posing on a horse carrying a surfboard. I'll hang that up, I guarantee, framed on the wall. No, actually, we should do it. It would be so funny. Uh, that should be it dope. Would, it would be sick as fuck. It would be so sick. And my friend has a board. I took a picture of him, and it said it has a huge uh, fist on it, and it says uh, "Black Rights" on it. And I took a picture of him. I actually I haven't posted it. I probably should post it. But like I took a picture of him at El Porto, which is where Bruce's Beach used to be. Um, if I don't know if you heard about Bruce's Beach, Mm-mm. but yeah. So it's it's just like I don't know. But yeah. So, but long story short, yeah, it, it's this. It's been amazing, and like I've just am such a huge advocate for doing personal projects, even if they don't go anywhere. Um, but honestly, they will. Like there's yeah. like I, I feel like. And you you work in ad well you have worked in ads so you can probably attest to this but I feel like so many people shoot the same things nowadays and have yeah. the same aesthetic that anything that's different like creatives just like eat up yeah. and they love yeah, like yeah. Um, my friend uh, Frankie he photographed like a bunch of ice pickers and like <laughs> and he just like shot it in one day and made a zine out of it and like we were at a portfolio review and like all the creatives were like losing their minds they're like what is this this is crazy (laughs) and i was like yeah he just like was fucking around and just did this and like people love it because it's different you know that's great that's yeah have you uh, i'm sure you have um but have you heard of this book called afro surf yes yes i know salama actually Nice. He's one of my mentors. Yeah, he's super sick. Dope book. Um, if for all y'all out there, it's this book called Afro Surfing. Hold on one second. Let me. Uh... Nah, my bookshelf is too far. But yeah, dope book. Very beautiful yeah. photos of, you know, black folks from all over uh, the continent. Mm-hmm. You know, South America, just like black folks surfing, and like I think yeah. the history of it is like we were some of the earliest surfers, right? Yeah. Like like most yeah. other most other things, right? We were like pioneers yeah. in. So yeah. Um definitely if you're interested in, in uh just dope photography. If you're listening, you are interested in dope photography. So I would say uh check <laughs> out that book. But also um we'll make sure to put links to uh your book so that people can yeah. purchase it. That's really dope. Yeah, thank you. For yeah. Sure. Love Afro Surf. Yeah, it's cool. It's sick. Yeah. There's a oh my god, I could talk about the surf revolution in Africa for hours it's crazy we're coming yo (laughs) we're coming it's sick and they're all women they're all girls under like 14 15 16 it's crazy what in afro surf 
no, no, oh, no, no. Just, in Africa who are uh, like surfing, like in Ghana, like in Buswa, they are all young girls. It's crazy. Yeah. I was like, these girls are ripping. Even in the um in the skateboard culture, you see yeah. like a lot of uh, subgroups coming up where it's just like uh, young girls skating, like no yeah. boys allowed. Like this is for us. Oh, yeah. You know, it's I've so I've seen like this skate culture in um in Ethiopia, young girls skating in Ethiopia. Yes. You know, or in Mexico. And they're like yeah. they're badass, you know, oh like my God. amazing. Um yeah. and you just mentioned something as, as far as uh a lot of people are photographing with the with the very similar aesthetic and um, yes. things are looking the same and when you start to do something that's out the ordinary, everybody just flocks to it, right? Um Yeah. But you know, looking at your work, you have you have a few projects that seem to be in that vein, right? You have um, Thank you. the Ebony Beach Club, right? Yeah. Series of like black folks partying on the beach. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, black femme surfers, right? Yeah. Uh, you have backyard squabbles, like people fighting in the backyard. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, these are all these are all these are all like super interesting uh, topics because. While we may know about some of them, we don't really see them. It's not like brought to the to the forefront. So, uh, I wonder if you could just walk us through what goes through your mind when you're like thinking about or pitching these types of stories. What stands out for you as a story worth photographing? Um, I think in, anytime there's an element of resilience there, I'm really attracted to it, just because the human spirit is just so amazing, and I love working with communities of color because we don't have an archive of us doing like recreational stuff mm -hmm. so it's really important to me at least that I show us um, <coughs> excuse me recreating and reclaiming our power and our time and our space and um and I like showing people having fun so but then I also like really cutty things like things that are kind of like a little punk and a little weird mm -hmm. and like where people, you can show that people are kind of letting loose and getting wild and are dynamic. And I think that lends itself to really, um, really great photographs or opportunity for photographs. So that's what I kind of look for. And then I also do a lot of research and see what's already out there. And so I'm constantly looking at different photo sections and newspapers and editorial outlets mm. to see what the coverage is. And I try to find the loopholes for stuff. So and how, yeah. how, how long do you normally st stick with the story? Oh, man, as long as possible, honestly, but at least a day, if I'm lucky, at least um, two days. Um, I think back the backyard squabble stuff took about like a couple months. It was like probably mm -hmm. four or five days total. And that's not even a complete edit of it. I have to completely edit it. And then Ebony Beach Club, I I'm, I shoot every summer just because it's my friends and it's mm -hmm. related to the surfer work a little bit. So and it's fun. It's a place to play because I get to use flash and like. There's ass everywhere and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we love ass. Wow. So, so I'm actually going to publish that work later this year, like later this summer. So is that going to be a monograph as well? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think. Oh, I can't say anything. Not for me, but that that work will come out eventually in okay. something else. But, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's what's fun about that. And I don't know. I just like having fun and like anytime there's like personalities too. Like, so yeah, I don't know. It's just that's what I'm really attracted to and that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think it's is very commendable. I, I love. I'm so inspired by people who whose work like reflects their personality 
And we makes you're welcome. We makes it look like they're not even working. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, because I'm crazy. I like to have fun. <laughs> and and that's really that's really cool. And a lot of the, your projects actually convey that fun. It's just like, oh, she's just like just having fun with the camera. She's partying and she's taking some pictures on the side, right? Like, and and that's Thank that's you. that's great, you know. Um Thank you. So with that said, like how do you see what are some uh more fun projects you have in the wing? Like how do you see your uh the rest of your your year unfolding regarding photography? Oh yeah. Um right now I'm just working on test shoots because I need I need some time to practice all the stuff that I've kind of been learning in the last year and I have to update my commercial portfolio. So just experimenting with cut light, um different types of film, um the Polaroid, all that other kind of stuff as I move forward because I have a project I want to do on um on pole dancers um, that I really want to do in go. like there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to do it but like what I try to do is like I try to see how it's photographed and like I think when we think of the pole dancing images I think in strippers we think of uh, Lauren Greenfield and we think of uh, what is that that Magic City project she did um, or we think of like, I'm trying to think of other, there's so many people who have photographed it, but like, I really want to do it on like Polaroids mm. and like, like just weird, like, and then do you know, um, Larry Sultan? No, I'm not familiar. So he's a California photographer, a documentary photographer, and he did this amazing project. It's called the Valley. And he basically, uh, like shadowed a bunch of like porn, um, productions in the seventies and eighties. And it's fucking incredible. It was, like, literally my first documentary project I ever saw. And I was, like, blown away by it. <laughs> because it's just, like, he is so funny. And he's so smart about the way he poses people. And there's, like, a little bit of, like, a chintzy glamour to everything um, that I really, really like. And I like the irony of it. So I kind of want to, like, play with that a little bit. And, um... Yeah, what else? So that's mostly it. And then the Ebony Beach Club stuff. And then just, I don't know, surfing. I'm going to probably photograph. I'm trying to photograph more of like the queer and trans community in surfing. Um, so I think that's kind of what's happening with that. Yeah, I don't know. Just having fun. Pretty much. I like, I'm realizing that I need to have fun because if I'm going to go to West Africa and work on really intense stuff, I need to balance it. <laughs> so I kind of probably go off the rails a little bit, but it's what I need to stay balanced. So <laughs> this is Gabrielle and Gotti Jones, and you're tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me. Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.